Time now for this week's Anderson Healy Show. Powered by Elevation, the Sun Devil's preferred home energy technology company. Greetings, Sun Devil Nation, and welcome to this week's installment of the Anderson Healy Show, the Sun Devil Radio Network program updating you on all the latest news in Arizona State Sun Devil Athletics and featuring ASU Vice President for University Athletics, Ray Anderson. I'm Tim Healy, the radio play-by-play broadcaster for Sun Devil Football, men's basketball, and baseball, and it's my pleasure once again to be your host this week, co-hosting along with ASU Athletic Director Ray Anderson. Good day, Ray. How are you? Doing good, Tim. Hope you and uh, Sun Devil Nation is doing well. So a lot of things to talk about. Uh, And so we'll get after it, man. And we will indeed. And we will have two terrific guests joining us a little bit later on in the show. Sun Devil senior distance runner, Lina Lebrun, will stop by to join us. as she will help us preview this weekend's Pac-12 cross-country championships that will be taking place on Friday, October 28th in Riverside, California. In addition... We're going to catch up with a former star Sun Devil student athlete as one-time Arizona State football quarterback and now ESPN college football analyst Brock Osweiler will drop by for a visit. Looking forward to catching up with Brock. We begin this show with our current Sun Devil football team and its recap of the past week. And you have to go all the way back to September of 1984 to find the last time an Arizona State football team lost a game in which its opponent did not score a touchdown. Such was the case this past weekend in Stanford, California, where the Sun Devils of interim head coach Sean Aguano kept the Stanford Cardinal out of the end zone and lost the football game. A heartbreaking 15-14 decision to Stanford, which got all of its scoring from three-time Pac-12 Special Teams Player of the Week Joshua Carty, the Stanford place kicker, who nailed all five of his field goal attempts in Saturday afternoon's game to account for all of Stanford's points. The Sun Devils led most of the game. They led by as many as eight points at one juncture. But, Ray, the Devils went scoreless in the second half. And while the defense kept Stanford out of the end zone, they couldn't quite keep them off the scoreboard and the result a disappointing one-point loss. Yes, Tim, it was. Uh, there's no uh, sugarcoating it. A very disappointing loss. I've never uh, been part of a game where three field goals, uh, three, five field goals, three points, 15 points beats you, uh, and they don't score any touchdown. I did not realize it uh, hadn't been since 1984 that that had happened, but it happened. Uh, unfortunate, we did not play well on the offensive side of the ball by any stretch in the second half. Uh, there's just no denying that. Defense had their best performance, I think, uh, of the season, particularly in the secondary, when you can uh, keep folks to five field goals and not get into the uh, end zone where they have the real paint, uh, you've done a good job. So uh, disappointing loss, to be sure, a better performance by the defense, but overall uh, not a good trip for the Sun Devils. And by the way, the last time the Devils lost a game where their opponent didn't score touchdowns, we said September of 1984, a 6-3 to three home loss to, believe it or not, the USC Trojans. Now, after being knocked out of the Sun Devils' prior game with Washington two weeks prior, a game in which uh, backup Trenton Borgay came on and led the Sun Devils to victory, ASU starting quarterback Emory Jones returned to the lineup at Stanford this past Saturday and had what Coach Sean Aguano himself termed as an up-and-down 
inconsistent performance. And so consequently, Ray, Coach Aguano said that the starting quarterback job at this moment is up for grabs for this week's game at Colorado, and uh, it will be given to whichever player, Emory Jones or Trenton Borgay, who performs the best in this week's practices. Uh, yes, he did. He said that, and he's sticking to it. Uh, as our, our uh, folks know, we uh, are uh, taping the show on a Tuesday. I was out of practice today. It appeared that they had equal reps, uh, and I don't think a decision will be made until the end of the week, Tim, uh, which means it's going to be an open competition in practice this week, uh, and rightfully so, because uh, Trenton played real well at Washington. Uh, Emory had a good first half at Stanford, but very frankly uh, struggled in the second half. Uh, and we're, it's about winning games and competing every day. So we have a quarterback competition going on. Uh, and the one with the best uh, results in practice this week will get the nod for the Colorado game on Saturday night, uh, as it should be. But the energy out there today at practice was good. It's very clear uh, that the folks know uh, it's open. Uh, and I think it will be a spirited week of practice, particularly at the quarterback position. And another big change, Ray, Sean Aguano himself indicating at his news conference yesterday, and it was evidence to practice today, that he is going to take a much more active role in the offensive play calling for the uh, upcoming game against Colorado. Yeah, he stated that, and, and it, uh, uh, it is fact. I think he will be very involved in the play calling and orchestrating the offense. Uh, we struggled, particularly in the second half. Uh, uh, of uh, the third quarter in particular. Uh, and there's just, again, you know, denying what uh, we all have seen and viewed. So uh, Coach Aguano's determined that he needs to roll up his sleeves and get much more involved with the offense and assist uh, Glenn Thomas uh, in getting it done. So I think you'll see uh, a lot more involvement by Coach Aguano, uh, certainly Saturday, and I anticipate going forward uh, with the offense, Tim. Now, there were some stellar performances by Sun Devils in the game at Stanford this past Saturday. Among them, wide receiver Elijah Badger, six receptions, 118 yards, a career-high 118 yards, and a brilliant uh, 39-yard touchdown reception from Emory Jones. And in addition, Ray, Elijah almost had uh, maybe the jail Mary times two, a, <laughs> a, a miraculous near catch on the uh, next-to-last play of the game that had he stayed in bounds would have given ASU the ball inside the Stanford one-yard line with a chance to kick a chip shot game-winning field goal. Unfortunately, he wasn't able to get his feet inbounds after making that remarkable one-handed catch, but boy, what an effort it was. Uh, yes, it was, and I was actually standing in that end zone uh, and saw that play right in front of me, and it was a spectacular catch, as good as any catch you're going to see in football. Uh, but it was just a little wide, a little too far to the uh, sideline, uh, and he got the toe on the white out of bounds. And uh, unfortunately, it was a correct call, but it sure was exciting for a few scintillating <laughs> moments to think we had a shot uh, and then getting the uh, chip-chop field goal to win that thing, but it wasn't to be. Uh, but Elijah Badger has really established himself now uh, as one of the leading wide receivers uh, in the Pac-12, if not the nation, Tim. No question about that. And defensively, again, there were stars aplenty. Kyle Soley, what can you say about him? Another excellent game, 14 tackles. He is now the number three tackler in the FBS. 87 stops 
on the year for Mr. Soley. Merlin Robertson had a terrific game, 13 tackles, one for loss. And I thought a couple of the defensive backs stepped up. Roe Torrance had three pass breakups, the Auburn transfer. And Ed Woods was thrust into the fray at cornerback, a young man from Oakland, California. He had nine tackles, a pass breakup, and a late sack of uh, Stanford quarterback Tanner McKee. Yes, as we said, the defense played really well. Uh, Merlin uh, and Kyle at the linebacker spots, uh, to be sure. Uh, and then the DBs, including Rowe, uh, really came up. And, and, and uh, Young Wood got in there and finally uh, showed what he is capable of doing. So the defense played well. Again, you, you, you give up five field goals. They didn't give up a score. Uh, unfortunately, we just too many, too many plays uh, that we allowed – Stanford's offense to run. I think they ran 83 plays uh, against the defense and only scored 15 points on five field goals. Uh, and too much of that is because the offense kept uh, getting pushed off the field uh, and not converting third downs. But the defense played very well. And if we can get them to continue to progress, uh, we'll have a shot to win some more games. This week, ASU will visit a team in a fairly similar situation as the Sun Devils, a team that is struggling on the field, a team that, like Arizona State, is looking for a new permanent head coach. The Colorado Buffaloes are 1-6 and six on the year. Their only win, a 20-13 to 13 overtime victory over California two weeks ago. Colorado has given up 40 or more points in all six of its losses this year, and the Buffs rank dead last in the Pac-12 in virtually every major offensive and defensive statistical category. And yet, you can never take any opponent for granted, not uh, in Power 5 football, not in the Pac-12. What's your take on this game, Ray? Uh, exactly like that. You, you, you operate at your peril if you go in thinking anybody is an automatic win. Uh, and their win uh, against Cal was at Colorado. Uh, and they actually stormed the field uh, to get their first win. Uh, so they know they're capable uh, of, of winning. Uh, and so you got to go up there and, and respect them. Uh, the 40-plus points per game doesn't mean anything to anybody because we've got to go get 40-plus points per game uh, and keep them at, uh, off the scoreboard less than 40 points uh, uh, on Saturday, Tim. So they're one and six. We're two and five. We're very similar in terms of uh, the leadership, interim head coaches, uh, and everybody's looking to show their best. We got to go up there and play, and we should win this thing. Let's make no uh, uh, bones about it. That's what the expectation is, and I think we'll be ready. The Sun Devil Radio Network will be ready. We'll have coverage of the ASU Colorado game from Folsom Field in Boulder, Colorado. It starts, uh, our coverage begins at 2 o'clock this Saturday afternoon with the Sun Devil Tailgate Show, hosted by Jeff Munn, and then Jeff Van Raphorst, Kevin Turner, uh, producer-engineer Sean Crespin, and I will be by to bring you the play-by-play action starting a little after 4.30 Arizona time on Saturday. By the way, if you're making the trip to uh, Boulder to cheer on the Sun Devils, remember that uh, they're still on mountain time in Boulder, and uh, it'll be a 5.30 kickoff locally, but 4.30 here in Arizona, and you can hear the game. If you can't make it up there, join us on Arizona Sports 98.7 FM. Let's talk some puck now. Just one week after the opening of their brand-new arena, the Sun Devil hockey team posted its first-ever weekend sweep in its new digs. 
Coach Greg Powers' Ice Devils taking two games from Colorado College last weekend, winning by scores of 5-3 to three and 6-1 to one last Friday and Saturday nights at the new Mullet Arena on the ASU campus. Co-captain Demetrios Komenzis scored two goals in the Friday 5-3 win, while six different goal scorers lit the lamp on Saturday in ASU's 6-1 victory that improved the Sun Devils' overall mark rate to 4-4 four and four so far this season. Yes, getting that first sweep was uh, really sweet, uh, as they say. And uh, uh, particularly in the Saturday night game after our loss at Stanford, it was fun to kind of get off the plane and then watch uh, and see that the score was 6-1 to one with six different players scoring goals in that Saturday night game. But uh, our understanding is that, uh, you know, we had 4,700, 4,800 folks there near sellouts. I understand the student section was just raucous uh, and really supportive of our team. Uh, and anyone who has gone who has reported back has talked about how electric the whole environment is there. So uh, great hockey in a wonderful arena, and Greg Powers has got this team playing with great confidence. A very, very well-deserved sweep last weekend, Tim. So the Sun Devils take three of their first four games in the new Mullet Arena, and this week they will hit the road for one game, but it's a big one. This coming Saturday night, the Devils head to T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas, the home of the National Hockey League's Vegas Golden Knights. And there, Arizona State will take on the University of North Dakota, the sixth-ranked team in the country. That'll be the U.S. Hockey Hall of Fame game at T-Mobile, a 7 o'clock uh, puck drop for, the first, for, the, uh, for that game uh, against number 6 North Dakota. Yes, and, you know, that's a 17,000-seat uh, arena, uh, the Golden Knights, NHL hockey. Uh, and they tell me the thing's sold out, Tim. Uh, and so that'll be fun. Yeah, they say it's sold out. Uh, but the way North Dakota travels, you expect about fourteen or 15,000 of those people to be in North Dakota green. So our guys are going to have their work cut out for them. Uh, but we're looking forward to a wonderful matchup and a wonderful venue in a wonderful city to have these types of uh, contests. Uh, and so Las Vegas, look out, because uh, <laughs> North Dakota is a hockey, po- hockey power. But you know what? People are respecting what ASU hockey is doing as well. And no one really is all that anxious to play us because they know it could happen. Yeah, that should be a lot of fun in uh, Vegas on uh, Saturday night. It'll be a college hockey town, as North Dakota and Arizona State have added at T-Mobile Arena. And by the way, that Sun Devil North Dakota game from Vegas will be broadcast live on the Sun Devil Radio Network and Fox Sports 910. And it will also be streamed on foxsports910.iheart.com as well as the iHeart Radio app with the new voice of Sun Devil Hockey, Tyler Paley, doing the play by play with Alex Coyle providing the color commentary. Be sure to join them. That's big time, Ray, to have you not only a terrific up and coming hockey program. But now you've got your hockey games, all home games and selected road games on uh, terrestrial radio here in the Phoenix area. Uh, Indeed. We need that exposure. We need to uh, educate people about the fact that ASU hockey has arrived. We're a varsity hockey program. That is real. And we're going to be playing in wonderful venues, certainly here and on the road. You don't get invited to a game like uh, against North Dakota uh, in Las Vegas unless you're considered a formidable opponent, uh, to be sure, and to now have us 
shown and broadcast uh, is a real tribute to how this uh, program has uh, really matured under Coach Powers in seven years. Really exciting stuff with our hockey program, Tim. Yeah, it sure is. Let's talk some uh, fall sports now, volleyball and soccer. Both those programs got splits of weekends up in the state of Washington this past weekend. Volleyball first as they went to the state of Washington and got a split. And on Friday, it was a tremendous win for Coach Sonia Tomasevich and her ASU volleyball team as she went to her old stomping grounds at Heck Edmondson Pavilion in Seattle, and her Sun Devils delivered with a stunning 3-2 upset of 15th-ranked Washington. Of course, Sonia, one of the all-time volleyball-playing greats in the history of the University of Washington back in the mid-2000s. So what a satisfying win that had to have been for her, in addition to the fact that it was her 11th win, Ray, over a ranked opponent in her time here as ASU's head coach. Yeah, Sanja's a proud uh, Husky, certainly one of the best uh, volleyball players to ever play up there. And so to go up to her old home turf as the head coach of the Sun Devils and and and, and beat the number 15th rank, I think they were 15th rank at the time, yep. Tim, uh, and beat them at home was really satisfying. Uh, and then they couldn't quite follow up uh, the next uh, couple days at Washington State uh, but the team split. It's hard to split uh, uh, on the road, but she got it done, and particularly happy that she got it done against her alma mater. Uh, the team is doing a, 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 a very competitive uh, job out there, Tim. They won that match three sets to two. Unfortunately, the Sun Devils couldn't quite sustain that momentum at the back end of the weekend as the Devils went to Pullman and were swept by Washington State three, set, or three, uh, three sets to none on Sunday. Now this weekend, volleyball is back home to host the Oregon schools. The Oregon State Beavers will be at Desert Financial Arena this Friday evening, October 28th. The match starts at 7 p.m. And then the Sun Devils will host 18th ranked Oregon on Sunday afternoon at 1 at Desert Financial Arena. Like volleyball, Sun Devil women's soccer spent the weekend in the state of Washington last week. Like volleyball, soccer came away with a split of its two games. Like volleyball, soccer won the first, lost the second over the weekend. On Thursday night, goals by Olivia Wynn and Hannah Leitner led ASU to a 2 to nothing victory at Washington State as the Sun Devils handed the Cougars their first home loss of the season. Then on Sunday, a heartbreaking loss for uh, Coach Graham Winkworth's squad in Seattle against the Huskies as Washington Ray scored two goals in the final three and a half minutes of the match to eke out a two-to-one win over Arizona State. Yes, that uh, second uh, game was uh, certainly a heartbreaker, losing uh, uh, by having two goals go two goals scored in three and a half minutes. That's an unusual occurrence. Uh, but you go back to uh, Thursday night, uh, handing Washington State their first home loss of the season, two to zero. And you know it's tough to play up there at night in Pullman, uh, but our team pulled it off, and it was a great victory. Uh, and so you get to split up in the uh, Pacific Northwest uh, is nothing to sneeze at. Uh, and we'll uh, come back here for our final three games. Uh, mm-hmm. Tim for soccer are right here at our home uh, venue, so it should be fun as we finish out this season. And look forward, hopefully, to going to the Pac-12s and then going to the NCAA tournament. Sun Devils record now 7-4-3. and three. And as Ray mentioned, volleyball is now home for the remainder of the regular season. The final three matches all 
on the pitch at Sun Devil Soccer Stadium. ASU will host Oregon this Thursday at 7 p.m. and then Oregon State Sunday afternoon at 1. And then it'll be the Territorial Cup match against the University of Arizona, the final regular season match of the season, Friday evening, November 4th, a 7 p.m. start at Sun Devil Soccer Stadium. And Ray, with a current RPI ranking of 19, Arizona State women's soccer would seem at this point to be well positioned for a chance to get into the NCAA tournament. Yes, and that's the uh, exciting part of it. But also the thing that you don't take for granted is that you're in yet. So each of these next three games, one at a time, matters. So uh, uh, win one, win two, win three, and you are stamped in. uh, But take nothing for granted. So they're going to do one at a time. But – It looks promising, Tim, to be sure, for the NCAA postseason. Soccer hopeful of making it to postseason. For Sun Devil cross country, really, that time is now, as the ASU distance runners are heading to Riverside, California this weekend for the 2022 Pac-12 Championships. And coming up, we'll get a preview of the Sun Devils at the Pac-12s from one of ASU's top veteran runners as senior Lena LeBrun will join us in just a few moments. But first, let's take a time out. This is the Anderson Healy Show from the Sun Devil Radio Network. 75% of the electricity you're using is on products that are turned off. And your ceiling fan could cost you up to $5,000 over its lifetime. Sun Devils fans, you know your sports stats. At Elevation, we know the stats that can help save your wallet and the world. Visit PoweredByElevation.com and learn how our full suite of smart solar solutions can make a powerful difference today. Elevation is a proud partner of Sun Devil Athletics. Forks up, bills down. Get your forks up, Sun Devil fans, because Bar S, the number one selling hot dog brand in America, is now a proud partner of Sun Devil Athletics. From hot dogs and sausages to bacon, ham, turkey, corn dogs, and more, Bar S offers an all-star lineup of delicious mealtime and game-time meat. Grab one of the new Bar S Sun Devil sausages next time you're at the stadium and head to your nearest grocery store to score some Bar S today. Bar S, a proud partner of Sun Devil Athletics. Tempe is the place to be to catch the excitement of ASU sports. Before and after the game, Sun Devil fans can enjoy the sunny weather while paddleboarding or kayaking at Tempe Town Lake, hiking around Papago Park, dining on a patio on Mill Avenue, or enjoying a local brew while relaxing poolside at one of our great hotels. The next time you plan to catch a game at ASU, plan to play and stay in Tempe. To learn more, go to www.tempetourism.com. We'll see you in Tempe. Leadership, teamwork, sacrifice, putting life's lessons before yourself. This is Arizona State Football 2022. It's not just a point in time. ASU is part of my life. That's what makes the wins and losses personal. Down the far sideline, and DJ Taylor is going to take the opening kickoff. I'm Tim Hovick, and it's football season in the desert. We are Santan Ford. The Anderson Healy Show continues now from the Sun Devil Radio Network. Along with Arizona State Athletic Director Ray Anderson, I'm Tim Healy, the radio play-by-play voice of the Sun Devils, and Ray and I are glad that you joined us this week. Well, technically speaking, I guess you could say that the ASU cross-country team will be the first Sun Devil Athletics team to begin 
postseason competition in its sport for the 2022-2023 school year. The Arizona State distance runners will be heading to Riverside, California this weekend, there to compete this Friday, October 28th, in the Pac-12 Championships. And here with us this week to give us an update on the Sun Devil Cross Country team and to preview the conference championships is the runner who posted ASU's best times in the women's competition in each of the two events in which the Sun Devils competed so far this fall. She finished first among ASU's women's runners and ninth overall in the 6K at the Dave Murray Invitational in Tucson on September 30th as she helped the Sun Devil women post an overall fourth place team finish in that event. Two weeks earlier, her 16th place finish at the UC Riverside Invitational was the best by a Sun Devil in that event. She's a senior who comes from France, and we are delighted to say hello and welcome to Lena Lebron to the show. Lena, so glad to join us today. Uh, How are you feeling? How are you doing? Hi, thank you for inviting me. I'm doing really good. Um, still finishing up everything. We're leaving tomorrow for Pac-12. So I almost finished packing and everything's going well. <laughs> That's good to have you on the show. And my understanding is that you're really doing well from a physical standpoint. I know that you've dealt with some injuries and health issues over the last couple of years. Talk about some of the issues that you have had to deal with from a health standpoint in the past. And how are you feeling these days? Uh, so freshman year got cut uh, pretty quick because of COVID. But then my sophomore year, uh, unfortunately, right before Pac-12 for outdoor track, I got a stress reaction on my tibia. Um, so it really made the rest of the season really complicated. I had to run with the stress reaction. and I think I made it worse during regionals. So that wasn't the best season. Um, and then last year, I was doing really good, too. Uh, actually do, doing PRs on like all the distance I've ever done. So I w- it was going really good. And the week of regionals, I got COVID, which mm. was really unfortunate, but just really unlucky, seriously. But um, like other than that, no health, like no major health issues, just got sick with COVID. But um, my bones are doing great. Um, my joints, everything, it's all going well. So, so far, so good. Yeah. Yeah, you sound good. You look very healthy. And uh, I was wondering, how would you evaluate your performance in competition so far? As we mentioned, you have been your team's best runner in uh, both events so far. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's been going really well. I feel like even the team overall, we've been really consistent getting the work in. Uh, we do not have – we have some people injured, but overall, the team's doing really well. Um, yeah, just getting to work in day by day, waking up early, getting our double in and lifting. Everything's going really well. It must be good for you, Linda, to be working once again with uh, Sun Devil Distance coach Ryan Ray. Ryan was here as a volunteer assistant with ASU track and field and cross country two years ago. Then he took an assistant coaching position at none other than the University of Arizona last year. And now here he is back at ASU as a full-time track and cross-country coach. Tell us about your working relationship with Ryan and how he's helped you develop as a distance runner. I love Coach Ryan. He's really, he's the best. Like, on every aspect, he's really, I really like the fact that he's going to be really uh, putting 
effort on the mental aspect of training too like not only just training hard and not taking um like making sure like every athlete is going really like is doing well and the mental health is like a big thing with him which is really nice like i really appreciate it uh we missed him a lot last we missed him a lot last year um uh, when he left for u of a um but he he was always like he was always checking up on us at races like super super nice guy um he's training is going really well so far and yeah he's just really like just really human like he's a he's really human I, i'd say it's really we really appreciate it well it's great to have him back in the fold at arizona state that's for sure and i'm wondering mm -hmm. uh what are your goals for this week's pac-12 championships and how do you feel you're ready physically and mentally and your teammates as well for the challenge of competing over there um personally i would love to be top 20 this week that would mean uh that would mean i would just i just progressed a lot uh i've been training really well no health issues um just yeah getting the work in i've i have more of a base compared to last year because i was able to actually train this summer um so i'd say i'm really i'm ready so i just want to see what it how it goes we race there uh, already with the team so we know the course uh we know what to expect we we've been there um the girls run there last year too so it's familiar um mm -hmm. and yeah everybody's really ready the whole team is really excited to leave tomorrow and run there uh, i think we could do something really good so yeah, i'm really looking forward to race there this being your final year at Arizona State, what are some of the things you hope to accomplish both individually and maybe from a team perspective in your final season as a Sun Devil, not only in cross country, but obviously running distance and track and field as well? Uh, with the team, we'd love to score better at Pac-12 or at least do um, do as good because last year was a really good year for the women's team. Uh, I just hope all of my teammates and I are going to go to Pac-12, score some points, qualify for regionals as as much as we can uh and i would love to qualify for nationals i've been trying for three years now so i really want to go to nationals and um the final goal would be to be around 945 for this people to just get a good mark and potentially try to make the french team for like when i get home in the summer so yeah i'm really expecting a lot for this season um, we've been training really hard for it and we have all the support at ASU to get there. So yeah, big, big things coming, I hope. And let's look a little bit further down the road, not just to this weekend's Pac-12s or to nationals or to the spring, but a little further into the future to, uh, 2024, I know you have a passion, don't you, to try to represent your home country of France uh, competing in the steeplechase at the 2024 Olympic Games. How meaningful would that be for you, Lena? And uh, how are you approaching your preparation? Uh, you have a plan, don't you, like a two-year plan to get yourself ready for a shot at the 24 Olympics? Yeah, I mean, it's been my dream since I started track. Like, I feel like every athlete's wants to go to the olympics one day and the fact that it's in paris is just like it's unbelievable almost because if i was to go uh, i would have so many people being able to actually cheer for me my whole family's been talking about it for years my old coaches back home too like everybody's just so excited for it 
So either way, I want to go there. Um, the best way to would be to like actually race there. But yeah, I have I still have a long road above like ahead of me. So I just really need to get the work in and hopefully I can yeah have this really good plans, this two year plan with Kotrian to just work towards this goal. Let's hope you fulfill it, my dear. Um, you've already achieved a lot here at Arizona State. In fact, your name shows up three times in the ASU record books. You're fourth all-time in the outdoor steeplechase, seventh in the outdoor 1500, eighth all-time in the indoor mile. How do you reflect back on those accomplishments? Uh, it's really, I just feel, it's, I feel really proud of it because uh, we have a really strong program within ASU and we've had really good athletes that are really um, well known for their achievements uh, on the top of the charts. So this people, I'm just looking to get to the same times as Lisa Aguilera. Like I've, I'm really inspired and hopefully one day I can break that program record. I've been looking at it around the track every day when I train. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> Yeah, it's really inspiring, and yeah, it's really it's really nice, just really nice. Tell us a little bit about your hometown in France, and I want you to pronounce it because <laughs> you'll <laughs> you'll get it right for sure. I know it's about a six hour drive south of Paris, and a lot of hills in your hometown. That's I think how you got started as a runner. Uh, what is the name of your hometown yeah. again? Uh, so it's called Montbrison. Uh, yeah, it's in the Alps, so uh, really hilly, definitely really hilly. Um, it's a small town. I've, I was born there, uh, but the actual town where I live is called Equitelolm, which is more complicated to pronounce. But <laughs> it's uh, it's really nice. It's really it's pretty rural, I would say. Uh, small town. Had the same type, same group of friends my whole entire childhood. Just everybody knows everybody, and it's it's really it's really nice and and tiny. It's really different than Phoenix. Phoenix is way bigger. Mm. It's still, totally different. But yeah, I really, I, I really liked, really yeah. liked it. Yeah. Uh, how, how did you get started with running? I know you tried other sports, didn't you, when you were younger, <laughs> gymnastics being one of them. But uh, what mm -hmm. what uh, sold you on running? Uh, well, definitely the coaches when I was doing gymnastics were not happy with me when we were doing the warm up because I would just race my teammates during the warm ups <laughs> at gymnastics and I would basically just enjoy so much more the warm up than the actual training that I was just like, well, well, I might just go just run because that's just what I like. And I don't know, I really, my parents were really into running. Um, I started because of them because I was just, I was barely born and I was already on the field. Um, so, <laughs> I definitely just started because um, they wanted me to try, and then I was—I just really liked it, so I kept kept doing it. But yeah, it's a family sport. I'd say my sisters run too. My parents still run. Uh, my grandparents were really into it. Uh, I have cousins that run too. So it's a family sport. Yeah, what was it like for you to leave home and come so far away, across the ocean, across the United States? to the Arizona desert to uh, come to college. What what drew you here and uh, how challenging was the adjustment when you first moved here? Uh, I've always wanted to go to come to the United States to train uh, because I don't know, like I've, I was so inspired by like the movies and like the culture, the language. Uh, and I just wanted to kind of like change and give it a try. Honestly, I was like, 
I was giving it at least two semesters, see how it was going to go and then be like, if I like it, I'll stay. If I don't, I, I won't stay and come back home. Um, but I just really loved it here. I did my visit before I actually signed. Um, and I love the weather. They made, I came here in November. So the weather was perfect compared to yeah. back home. Um, mm -hmm. I love the teammates, love the coaches. The culture is just like, is it's really different than friends. People actually, um, I really put in the spot, like, uh, any type of sports and back home, it's more, it's more of like, like clubs and not really school. So after high school, I kind of had to make the choice if I wanted to either go pro and stay home or keep studying and running here. So studies are like really important to me too. So I just decided to come here. And ASU, by my count, I think has 77 student athletes currently in competition who come like you from outside the United States uh, with so many foreign <laughs> student athletes. Did that help you in your transition to American college life when you first came here and since? Yeah, it did. Uh, we had a few French people when I first got here, but I didn't really know any of them, especially because it was like it was the COVID year. So then we were we weren't really able to like meet each other. But I've met so many people from other countries since my sophomore year. It's been insane. It's really, really cool. Um, I just love meeting new people, too. So it's like it's been really great um and yeah like just when i did my visit too we had the a gymnast her name was ankum and she was she was really really good too and she used to be in the gymnastics team she graduated since but she like i went to talk to her when i did my visit and she like explained it to me a little bit more gave me more details about asu how she really enjoyed her experience so that definitely helped yeah well, we are so delighted that you are part of the athletics family at Arizona State, Lynn, and we wish you and your teammates all the best of luck this uh, Friday uh, at the Pac-12 Championships in Riverside and really wish you luck in your quest to make the 2024 Olympics. That would be so awesome, and you'd make all of Sun Devil Nation proud. Thanks for joining us today, and best of luck to you. Thank you so much. Have a good good evening. Thank you. You too as well. Sun Devil cross-country runner Lina LeBron has been our guest on the Anderson Healy Show. Up next, we'll catch up with a former Sun Devil football star now working as a college football analyst on ESPN. We'll visit with our old friend Brock Osweiler when we return. This is the Anderson Healy Show from the Sun Devil Radio Network. Hey, Sun Devil Superfans, the Arizona Lottery is a proud partner of Sun Devil Athletics, and we're giving six lucky fans a pair of season tickets to cheer on the ASU men's basketball team. All you have to do is enter on the Arizona Lottery Players Club. So suit up in your maroon and gold, grab your phone, and enter by October 24th on the Players Club app or at azplayersclub.com. Saturdays are made for football, and when the game is on, we're finally off. Off-duty, offline, out of office, a cracked Coors Light is our do-not-disturb message to the world. On game day, we don't think about the 9-to-5, but worry about the 4th and 1. So this Saturday, grab a Coors Light, press play on some pigskin, and pause on everything else. Coors Light, Mountain Cold Refreshment, Made the Chill, official corporate partner of Sun Devil Athletics. 2022 Coors Brewing Company, Golden Colorado, celebrate responsibly. If you plan on flying on or after May 3rd, 2023, make sure you have the new Arizona Travel ID to get you past TSA security checkpoints. 
This credential shows a gold star in the upper right corner and is available to Arizona residents as a driver's license or an ID card. Don't risk a missed flight on or after next May 3rd. Log on to aztravelid.com for a list of qualifying documents you'll need to get your travel ID today. Vibe Check. A free afternoon on a Friday. Vibe. The party after the after party. Vibe. 3 a.m. text from your ex. No vibe. A hard seltzer with antioxidant vitamin C. Big vibe. Vizzy is a vibe. Celebrate responsibly. 2022 Wilson Coors Beverage Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, flavored beer. Welcome back to the Anderson Healy Show from the Sun Devil Radio Network, along with Arizona State Athletic Director Ray Anderson. I'm Tim Healy, the radio voice of the Sun Devils. Glad you joined us this week. It is always great to catch up with former Sun Devil student-athletes who've gone on to enjoy success both, uh, both on and off the field after their Arizona State days came to an end. One such example is our next guest here on the Anderson Healy Show, a three-year Sun Devil football quarterback from 2009 to 11. He enjoyed one of the greatest seasons any Arizona State quarterback has ever had in 2011 when he passed for a school single-season record 4,036 yards on a school single-season record, 326 completions. From ASU, he went on to enjoy a seven-year NFL playing career with the Denver Broncos, Houston Texans, and Miami Dolphins, and was a member of the Broncos' Super Bowl 50 championship team in 2015. Nowadays, he's joined us in the broadcast biz. He's come over to the other side in his first season as a college football game analyst for ESPN, working a package of ES, uh, ESPN games this year with uh, play-by-play man Anna Schroff and uh, sideline reporter Taylor McGregor. It is terrific to get a chance to visit with our old buddy Brock Osweiler. Brock, how you doing, partner? Long time no see. Yeah, Tim, I'm doing fantastic. Thank you so much for having me on your show. This is great. How you digging the broadcasting work? We were chatting before we started taping. It sounds like uh, you're enjoying it. I always thought you had potential to be in the business, and lo and behold, here you are. Well, well, thank you. I'll, I'll tell you this: we're we're learning on the fly, right? Every, every week is uh, <laughs> it seems like a, a massive learning curve. Um, you know, no one really teaches you how and what to do. You're just kind of thrown into the fire, and um, it's it's sink or swim, and and you learn on the fly. Obviously, like anything in life, you try to do your best. Um, and I would say this, the, the day after the game doesn't hurt as bad when you're up in the booth versus <laughs> on the field. But but I'm starting to think playing the game is a lot easier than talking about it. But um, nevertheless, it's been a ton of fun. I work with a great team. Like you just said, Anish Shroff, uh, Taylor McGregor, two awesome people. They've been in the business for a while now, Anish especially. Um, so I have some great people to, to lean on while I'm learning. What has been the most challenging aspect of transitioning into being a color analyst for you? Great question. Wow. You know, there's been a lot of things. Um, cause like I said, there's, there's not the, okay. With, with football, th- this is how I've explained it to my family. That's been asking, Hey, how are, how are things going mm-hmm. with football? You have spring ball. Right. You have training camp. You have all these practices to build into the game. Well, with broadcasting, 
there's not a lot of practice you can do. Yes, you can turn on YouTube and maybe go find a game and, and try to simulate some things, but really the only way to get your feet wet is to actually do a live game. So, um, you know, that, that's been a challenge. Um, but like I said, I feel like each week um, I've made some good strides. I, I, I treat this business just like when I was playing football. You know, a day or two after the game, I, I try to go back and I watch the TV copy and I make notes on things that I liked. I make notes on things I, I should probably never say again um, and, and things like that. And, and just just try to get a little bit better each week. Um, it really feels like it has gotten better each week and, and we've produced a, a better product for the viewers at home. Um, but with that, there's there's one other challenge. And, and I would say it's. You know, there's there, there's over 100 FBS football teams, as you know, and each week you're you're sent to a different town. Right. You're you're you're, you're, you're you have two different opponents. So, you know, the challenge has been, OK, in a four or five day week leading into the football game. How much can you learn about those two schools, their coaches, their traditions, the coordinators, the players? You know, I. I, I, I kind of poke fun at NFL commentators and I'm like, you know what? Their job's easy because everyone knows NFL players. Everyone knows NFL <laughs> coordinators. They know the names. They know the head coaches. Um, we're in college, at least for a rookie. Um, and, and until you get a couple years under your belt, everyone's new. Every coach is new. Every team's new. And the other difference, you know, having done some pro football myself, in the in the NFL, as you know, the roster sizes are limited, you know, whereas <laughs> in colleges, you know, sometimes you're talking about 75, 80, 85, maybe even as many as 90 guys that you might have on a spotting board, a lot more names that you got to become familiar with. And you brought up an interesting difference between like what you do and what I do on a week to week basis. I'm basically trying to prep for one team, our opponent, because I have a good week to week working knowledge of the Sun Devils. And my job like this week is to try to get as familiar with the Colorado Buffaloes as I can. Yeah. But you, you have two teams to prep for and it's two different teams every week. <laughs> yeah. It, it, and you're, you're exactly, you're spot on. And, and my play by play partner, uh, Anish, he's also the voice of the Carolina Panthers. He does their radio. So um, things that you just hit, Absolutely. I've heard that from Anish. Um, he's kind of given me some insights in, into that world a little bit, too. Um, yeah, it, it, they're, they're similar business, right? But they're, they're two different entities at the end of the day. But I would say this, um, the challenge of learning the rosters, the names, and, and really becoming familiarized with these, these teams and, and the coaching staffs and, and the athletes on a short week, it's, it's been a fun challenge. I enjoy it. Um, I think one of the best parts about this this deal is I get access to um, the the coaches film, you know, so I'm able to see the exact same film that all the coaches are seeing um, and players. And so I've been able to learn a lot about different systems that are out there in college football. Um, and that's been a lot of fun. You learn a lot about a coordinator and his personality by watching his film and and how his offense and defense, how they go about things. Um, so just, just from someone who loves college football, it's, it's been a blast so far. Absolutely. And, you know, another challenge that Brock has, I can tell you that we were chatting before we went on the air is I have the benefit of knowing months in advance where we're playing, <laughs> who we're playing. Mr. Osweiler finds out his schedule for 
next Saturday. When did you say Sunday afternoon? Yeah, it's either Sunday afternoon. Sometimes we get lucky and it's Sunday morning. Uh, but like I said, it's <laughs> in some regards, you don't like it because you wish you knew your entire schedule. You could plan around it. You know, maybe you plan, you know, if you're if you're going to head into a fun, fun town, fun city, you know, maybe your wife comes with you that weekend or a family member, something like that. Um, but on the flip side, it's almost like it's college football Christmas morning every Sunday. You know, you, you don't know what you're going to get. Um, and, and we've had, you know, our, our personal team, uh, we're called the H crew uh, for, for ESPN. We've had as low as I believe Texas A&M was ranked number six at the time that we had them when they got upset against Appala- Appalachian State. Uh, so that was a fun one. Uh you know, we've had Kentucky when they were in the top 10. Um, and then we've also done things that they've now cracked the top 25. But when we when we did their game, they weren't. We had East Carolina and Tulane, you know. So we've, we've really mm-hmm. hit everything. We've had ACC football. We've had North Carolina State twice. Um, we've had Big Ten games. We've had Big 12 games. We're, we're bouncing everywhere. The only thing I haven't really touched this year is Pac-12. Um, and, and I do have to say, uh, it was a couple weeks ago, Arizona state was at home against Utah. And I believe that game ended up on ESPN too, which, which it kind of seems like that's where most of my games end up every once in a while, I'll get an ESPN, um, game, but it's mostly been ESPN too. So I was kind of pulling for that one. I was, I was really hoping I was going to get a stay in my own bed, watch my team, because that's the other thing, you know? When, when you have to be at a game and, and you're calling a game, it doesn't matter if, if the Sun Devils are playing. You know, I, I don't get to watch that one. Um, and so I was I was hoping to get them there or against Oklahoma State. That was also an ESPN2 game, but um, it's, it's all good. Like I said, it's been a lot yeah. of fun. And this week, uh, you go back to the Big Ten, two teams that are actually struggling, uh, Northwestern and Iowa. You'll be in Iowa City, but the the good news is you're going to be in one of the best environments in college football. It's a great uh, scene at Iowa City when they when the Hawkeyes play at home. Yeah, I have to be honest. I'm I'm really excited to to do this Iowa game. In fact, well, for a couple reasons. One, uh, one of my all time favorite teammates when I was with the Broncos, uh, the the year we won the Super Bowl. One of our backup offensive linemen was uh, James Ferentz, and he's still playing. He plays for the Patriots now. Um, but his dad is, is Kirk and, and his brother, Brian, is the offense coordinator. So, you know, I learned a lot about Iowa football um, with when, when I was with James and Denver. We talked a lot about it. And then when I went back to Bristol, Connecticut, to the ESPN headquarters to do my audition when I was trying out for this job, um, the game that they put up on a TV and had me do a mock simulation of, of a broadcast was last year uh, when Purdue came to town. So it was Purdue at Iowa. And I remember watching that game during my audition. I was like, you know what? This is an environment I hope I get to experience. And uh, lo and behold, I get to check it off my my rookie year in the booth. Yeah, and I can tell you from past experience, uh, Brock, Kirk Ferentz, uh, we used to do uh, phone interviews with uh, our opposing head coach, I think back when you played and even years before that. And uh, the Sun Devils had a home and home with Iowa in 2003 and four. And I got to interview Coach Ferentz by phone uh, for each of our pregame shows those two years. One of the nicest men I've ever uh, talked to 
in uh, college football and all the years I did inter- interviews, three of the nicest guys that stood out to me over the years, uh, Mike Riley, the former head coach at Oregon yep. State, Kyle Whittingham, now the head coach at Utah, always a very, very engaging uh, interview subject, and Kirk Ferentz, just a super, super nice guy, comes from Pittsburgh, which is my wife's hometown, but uh, he was a part uh, of the famous Bill Belichick coaching staff on the 1995 Cleveland Browns, that also, a staff that also included a guy by the name of Nick Saban, who was the Browns defensive backs coach. I don't know if you've ever seen the NFL uh, Network, NFL Films documentary on the 95 Browns, but it is a fantastic uh, watch for any uh, college and or pro football fan. The story of the 95 Browns, that was the last year they were in Cleveland before they ended up moving to Baltimore. And Bill Belichick, what a staff he had in Cleveland that year. And Kirk Ferentz was part of that staff. Yeah, so I actually did watch that documentary. And I have to admit, I had no idea Nick Saban or Kirk was on on that staff. And so I learned something. And that to, to that exact point, that's been one of the most fun things about this job for me. And I don't know if every analyst in the business does this. I do it just because... You know, like I said, being a college football junkie and the love of the sport and willing to watch every conference, every team, I'm really curious where these guys came from. And so one of the first things I do in my prep during the week is I try to piece together where the head coach, offensive coordinator, and defensive coordinator, where they started, who was on those staffs. You know, why does the offensive coordinator have the system that he does? All right, who was the influence that he was around that passed that on? And it's been kind of fun to try to piece together that puzzle week to week. That's a great point because uh, you look at that staff. Certainly, I would imagine Nick Saban would tell you a lot of his success, probably things he learned from working under Bill Belichick in those uh, early sure. 90s years in Cleveland, for sure. But that's that's a great point. And, you know, Brock, I'm wondering with the transfer portal, NIL, uh, conference realignment, boy, the landscape of college football is a lot different now than when you played here at Arizona State, isn't it? What do you think it would have been like for you if you were playing in this day and age as opposed to back then with all those things that would be uh, accessible, if you will, to a student athlete? Yeah, you know, Tim, I, I'm still across the board with how I feel about where the where the current game is, uh, to, to be quite frank. Um at times, I, I really struggle with NIL and, and the way it was implemented. Um, you know, some of these dollar figures that are getting pushed out there and into athletes. And, and, you know, I'm first and foremost, you know, people in my close circle that, that know me, that ha- have been around me when we have these conversations, know that, yes, I believe the student athletes need to be taken care of in a little bit better way. You know, when I was in school, you know, there was, there was worry about, all right, who's got gas money to get us to practice today? You know, we're carpooling. Okay. Uh, Hey, can anyone spot me six bucks so I can go to Chipotle for dinner tonight? You know, like, I just don't think a full scholarship student athlete should, should be having to worry about those things. But on the flip side, you look at some of these, these, uh, you know, deals, NIL deals that some of these players are pulling in and, you know, at the end of the day, you know, it's one man's opinion, but they're not professional athletes, in my opinion. And and some of these guys are starting to get treated like that. Then you mix in the transfer portal and, um, 
you know, in some respects, I love that players have the ability to transfer and get away from a bad situation or maybe transfer out of a situation when a new staff comes in and it's mm-hmm. the staff that they didn't sign up to play for, you know, things like that. But then I, I also think that there's, you know, a part of, of learning uh, grit and, and how to uh, deal with adversity and agreed. Okay. I, I wasn't named the starter as a true freshman or a true sophomore, but you know what, what you don't know at 18 or 19, you know, maybe trust your coaching staff and maybe a red shirt year is the best thing for you. Um, and it's going to help you to, to, uh, to develop. And, you know, I'm, I'm guilty as charged. You know, I came in at 18, 19 and, you know, my true freshman year, Danny Sullivan was the starter, um, you know, and, and, you know, I wanted to play. And then you go into your sophomore year and Stephen three won the job in um, training camp um, over myself. And that was hard. Um, I wanted to play. But looking back on it, I was nowhere near ready to play. You know, I think there was glimpses of a lot of potential. But I also I don't think if, if you pulled up my practice film, um, I don't think I was playing consistent football. And, and that's what you need to do as a quarterback. Now, of course, my 19-year-old self didn't think that, but my coach, Dennis Erickson, knew that, and he made the best choice for the football team early in that season. So my point with all of this, um, you know, if the transfer portal existed to, or back then, maybe I would have hopped into it at 19, and, and it would have arguably maybe been the worst decision of my life. Um, but the transfer portal didn't exist. So I was the backup quarterback um, basically until, uh, uh, you know, the, the final game of the season when I got my first start that, that season in 2010. Um, and now I'm where I'm at today, you know, having a, mm-hmm. having a great 2011 season for the school that I love so much. I got to go on and, and live my childhood dream and be a part of professional football for seven years. Um, you know, and would that have happened if the transfer portal existed? You know, we'll never know. Um, but my point is, I, I think there's there's good and bad with it, just like NIL. Um, but I'm anxious to see how those kinks get worked out in the coming months and, and years. Boy, some great insights. And I agree with you 100 percent. I just, you know, I think it's great that the kids have the option of going somewhere. But boy, sometimes one of the best life lessons you learn in college is just trying to tough out a difficult, different, new situation and I don't know, sometimes I, I think the transfer portal almost offers too easy an out for uh, kids in that situation. The two guys, I think of you and I think of uh, Mike Bercovici as two guys that are great examples of like Burko came here. I think I think near the I think he he played you played with him for a year, didn't you? Or I think he was a teammate of yours I, for I, a year. Correct. Uh, my backups in 2011 were Taylor Kelly and, and Mike Bercovici. Yeah. So we were, wow. we were all on the roster together and yeah, it was, it was great. Um, and, and, and to that point, you know, there's something to say for the day of coming in and redshirting. Now, obviously I didn't, and I think it was more of a situation of who our starter was in 2009. I think Dennis Erickson was trying to kind of mix me in. Um, was I ready? You know, that's, that's for a different conversation, but there's something to say for that red shirt and you come in and you buy your time and you, and you, and you put in the time in the weight room and you put in your time with the teammates and you develop and you watch film and you learn so that when you're a red shirt junior, you're ready to go. You're as polished as you'll ever be. You have two years to be the starter. 
You know, I, I kind of miss those days, you know, where now it seems like, you know, the highly touted recruit, he comes in, if he wins the job, great. And he gets to learn on the fly. But if he doesn't, then he hops in the transfer portal and he's off to the next school and you don't yep. get a chance to develop that player for your roster. For sure. And uh, boy, your 2011 season was certainly worth the wait. We mentioned uh, your uh, single season record, 4,036 yards, a record that still stands and I wanted to ask you, Brock, about uh, I think your go-to receiver that year was one of the most underrated great players in recent Arizona State history, Jarrell Robinson. When you look at the numbers he put up in 2011, 77 receptions, one almost 1,400 receiving yards. He is the second highest single-season receiving yards total in program history. He was a beast wasn't he in 2011? He was, he was a beast in all caps with about 10 exclamation marks at the end of that word. Um, he really was, uh, you know, the, the first thing that jumps out to me with, with Jarrell, when I go back to that season, you know, that was my first year being the starter and I still had a lot to learn. Um, and, and I was learning on the fly. I was still a very raw product when it came to footwork and, and other things. And he just seemed to bail me out time and time and time again. Um, you know, I go back and I watch a lot of that film, you know, and of course this is after I got to spend seven seasons in the NFL and continue to develop and work on my craft every year. But I look back on that film and I'm like, wow, Brock, your accuracy was terrible. <laughs> you know, I was throwing <laughs> the ball everywhere, but, but to that point, throw it in his direction and it didn't matter if it was above him below him behind him he just caught the football and um like i said he, he bailed me out he made me look better than i probably was um and and he was also you know he was that big body you know you gotta remember he was what six four probably 225 220 230 um and he would catch the ball he would, he would take the big hit over the middle because he kind of played that slot tight end position for us. And he would take these monster hits, but he wouldn't fall down. And then he'd go get 10, 12, 20 more yards. Um, he was a beast. You, you said it best. He was an absolute beast. And then, you know, because of the success that he was having, his size, how much attention he drew to the middle of the field, you know, it allowed guys like Aaron Flugrad on the outside – um, George Bell, Mike Willie, um, you know, Cameron Marshall had a, had a huge season at running back. I believe he rushed for over a thousand. In fact, someone told me this and, and maybe you would know if it was true, but with Cameron Marshall going over a thousand rushing, Jarrell going over a thousand passing and me going over 4,000 passing. I think that was the first time in school history. And, and so you kind of think yeah. back to and, and you think back to it, and so much of that was because of the attention that Jarrell was drawing from linebackers, safeties, slot corners at the nickel position. Guy was a stud. Yeah. And as great as your 2011 season was, if I asked to me, if you asked me what, what's one of your best memories of Brock Osweiler's time here, I would cite a game where you didn't have a great game throwing the ball. It was the Territorial Cup win in Tucson in 2010, your first start, if I'm not mistaken. And I think you just willed the team to victory with your leadership. And, of course, that's the game that was won when good old James Brooks blocked not only one, not one but two 
extra points by the Wildcats, one to force overtime and the second to win the game in the second overtime. That that was um, – I mean, you can see my smile now. That was That was just an incredible evening to be a Sun Devil. You know, my family, they were in attendance down in Tucson. That was cool. I just remember that crowd – and the chants going back and forth between our fans and their fans and, you know, the double overtime, um, you know, that, that was my second career start. My first one came my true freshman year at Oregon. Um, Oregon was top 10. We go up there, and I think it was kind of Coach Erickson's test to see if I was ready. Uh, well, we quickly found out I was not ready for the bright lights. Um, <laughs> that was that was a very messy first half for myself uh, before I got hurt and knocked out of the game. Um, and then, yes, that was my second career start down in Tucson. And you, I mean, you you put it nicely. You you were too kind with with what you just said there because I could not complete a pass if my life depended on it that night. Um, you know, I was still. I was still learning. And this goes back to, you know, I think some guys obviously step in and they're ready to go at, at a young age, freshman year, sophomore year. I was a guy, I needed more time. You know, I need more time to, to learn everything. I never had a true quarterback coach really in my life until coach, coach Mazzoni came in that 2010 season. So that was kind of my first year of being exposed to that. And I mean, from, from footwork, to arm mechanics, to reading a defense, to understanding coverage, I still had a lot to learn. But you're right. I, I played with a lot of heart, and I played with a lot of fire and passion. And that night, you know, you don't know how many opportunities you're going to get, and, and especially at the quarterback position. And I got the opportunity to start the ball game, coming off a good game the week before when I came in of, of relief of Stephen three And... Um, Boy, it was messy. Like I said, I the the game was I, I was so juiced up that the game I wasn't processing it mentally right. I, I, I was I was kind of playing and fast forward, if you will, where I needed someone to grab me and say, Hey, we get it. You're fired up, take a deep <laughs> breath and just settle into the game. I was yeah. just I was so amped up that night, and you're right. So I just Hey, if, if the guy didn't look open, I tucked it and I just took off and ran. And, and, and I tell you what, I, I woke up that next day and, and I felt it. I was I was I was hurting um, because I was acting more like a running back than a quarterback that night. But you showed a lot of leadership. And uh, I think some fans know that this being my 25th year as the radio voice at ASU, I wrote a preseason article on the website, my top 25 moments in 25 years in that game is in my uh, top 25 for sure and understandably. And by the way, Brock's game before that uh, has been something we've talked about lately because of the performance of Trenton Borgay, the Sun Devil yeah. uh, backup quarterback who came off the bench uh, October 8th and threw the three touchdown passes to lead the team to the victory over Washington. That was the most uh, touchdown passes thrown by a player off the bench since Mr. Osweiler came off the bench yeah. on Black Friday of 2010 and threw four TD passes in a 55-34 win over UCLA, you were down 17 nothing in that game. But, man, you came in there and just started lighting it up. Yeah, you know, going back to that week, but, but first I do have to say this. When Trenton came in and had the game that he did, it brought a smile to my face when I got done with my game and I was able to pull up, Hey, what's going on with the sun devils and look at the stats and the box score. 
and I saw what he did, it just it just brought me happiness because I remember being that kid in 2010. And so that I'm really happy for him. I thought that was really cool. Um, the UCLA deal was interesting because I remember that week, Coach Erickson opened up the quarterback job, or at least that's what he told Steven and I in private. I don't know if that was public knowledge or not. So I went into that week after being the backup all season, and, you know, I always gave everything I had at practice, but I was extra laser-focused that week. And Friday, Coach Erickson said that he was going to go with Steven instead of myself. And, you know, obviously I was super disappointed. I was down about that. I thought I had a great week of practice. Um, but I always stayed ready and I always stayed prepared. And, um, you know, unfortunately for Steven, he rolled out of the pocket to the right side. I, I still remember it like it was yesterday, even though I can't remember what I had for breakfast this morning. <laughs> um, and he rolled out to the right and he kind of, he, he did the cardinal sin for a quarterback. He, he pulled up rather than either tucking the ball and running or throwing it away. And he pulled up. And I remember a big defense alignment for UCLA hit him right in the back of the head, um, knocked him out of the game. It was, like I said, it was, it was very unfortunate for Steven. Um, and I came in and I basically played with the mentality of, well, we're already down 17. Uh, you know, how much worse can it get? And I just played free and, and I, I, I played to have fun. And um, fortunately that day, everything came together. The, my teammates rallied around me offensive line. I remember they, I don't think they let anyone touch me that game. Um, yeah. And and everyone really kind of made my job easy that afternoon. It was it was a that lot was, of fun. It was a beautiful day. I remember it. Yeah, it was uh, just a great, great performance. Brock, how do you reflect back on your time in the NFL, especially your years with the Broncos? Uh, they made you your, their second-round pick in 2012, and you got to play with and behind one of the, the all-time greats in Peyton Manning and uh, – the both of you combined to quarterback the Broncos to that Super Bowl championship season. Yeah, 2015 obviously is is the highlight. Um, is um, you know beyond special to me. It's I think it's it's um, every football player's dream. You know to be able to hoist the real Lombardi Trophy and and be part of a, a team and an organization and a group like that. So that was. I don't think words could could really describe it, but um, you know, my time in the NFL, it's it's wild, right? It, it was up, it was down, it was around, it was everything in between, and um, I learned so much. I, I gave everything I had to the game, to my teammates, to myself. Never wasted a day. Um, you know, I would say towards the end of my career, when, when I finished in Miami, you know, I, I started. I, I finally felt like I was at a point where I kind of got it. And, and, you know, the NFL game is so different and, and there's just nothing that can replace, you know, games started as a quarterback when it comes to experience. And I think until you hit that 25, 30, 35, even 40 game mark as, as starts, it's hard to get it. You know, there, I think there's so few like Andrew Luck who are drafted, they come in, and they just tear it up right away. You know, go back and look at Peyton Manning's rookie season. He struggled a bit. You, uh, I mean, not a bit. I, I think he I think he still holds the NFL record for interceptions in a season, and, and he mentions that. He says it every year. He's like, I'm waiting for one of these rookies to take that thing over. But, um, <laughs> you know, you look at Tom Brady, the year that he took over for Drew Bledsoe. You know, nothing jumps off the stat sheet at you, um, and, and so on and so forth. 
And I got to that point in Miami. I think, I think I finished with either 25 or 30 career starts, something like that. And I remember going into that off season kind of saying, okay, like I'm confident. I understand my game. I understand what I can do on the field and get away with what I can't do. And that's almost, that's almost half the battle as a quarterback at the NFL is knowing what you are not capable of. But until you try things on the field on game day, you don't really know. Um, but unfortunately, um, the staff that I played for got fired and like, like, you know, happens every year. And, and, you know, my, I guess, opportunities, uh, just kind of ran out and, um, mm -hmm. it's unfortunate that I wasn't able to build upon that, but you'll never hear me complain because I look at it as, you know, I'm the luckiest guy in the world to be able to live my childhood dream for seven years, regardless of how it went. You know, you're in the building, you're in the stadium, you're part of amazing people, amazing teams. Um, I learned so much. Um, and, and like I said, I'm, I'm grateful for that because I know there's so many players out there that had way more talent than I ever did, but they didn't get the luck factor. They didn't get the ball to bounce their way. Maybe they had a bad injury and so they never got drafted or maybe they played for X, Y, and Z and it led to whatever and they never got to that next level or they got to that next level, but unfortunately they were drafted to a terrible organization and they never had a chance to have success, you know? And, you know, that's, that's a lot of it as a quarterback is, is finding yourself with the right play caller, with the right, right teammates, with the right skill guys around you, the right culture set by the head coach, having a good defense, um, because if you don't find yourself in that, the, the NFL is such a tough game and, and everybody on that field is so talented, you know, it's called the ultimate team sport for a reason. And so mm -hmm. the fact that I got to go to Denver, you know, an organization that cares so much about winning and they're going to invest anything and everything that they have to do to, to be able to do that, um, certainly, um, benefited my career, um, in a big way. And you got a Super Bowl ring to show it off yeah. uh, as a result. That's uh, outstanding. Uh, before we let you go, tell us about uh, your family now, your husband and a father, as I understand it, and back uh, living here in the Valley. That's it. That's it, Tim. I got, I got the full full package, man. We got the dogs, the kids, the fence, all, all of it. Um, <laughs> yeah, so, uh, you know, got married back in uh, the winter of 2015, um, headed into the Super Bowl year. So that... 2015 was a big year. Uh, got married, won a Super Bowl, um, signed a contract with Houston. It, it was it was a big year. But uh, yep, got married here in Scottsdale, and we have two two amazing daughters, uh, Blake and Quinn. Blake's uh, five. Quinn is soon to be three in a couple weeks. Um, we made Scottsdale home. Um, we just we feel so lucky to live here. I love being close to campus. I get down there as much as I can. Try to pop into a practice or two. Um, last season didn't miss a home game. Um, obviously this year I have a, a, a little bit of an excuse as to why I can't get to the games because, because I'm off, I'm off in a different city and state every Saturday. But, um, yeah, I just, we, we love life here. Uh, my wife went to ASU as well. So we're, we're a Sun Devil family. Um, and we just, it, it's amazing, you know, thinking back to 2008, when I decided to, to come to ASU, you know, never did I think that for the rest of my life, I would live here, you know, but that's wow. what happened. I came to school and I made my best friends for life. I met so many amazing people, 
you know, I still talk to a lot of people in administration um, to this day. And, um, you know, the Valley of the Sun has embraced me and, and I just I love it so much. We, we love living here. Well, we're glad that you're back and uh, we'll have to arrange a play date with uh, Blake and my uh, six year old granddaughter, Ella. Uh, I think they'd probably nope. hit it off pretty well. That's the world I'm in these days. Play dates whenever. Let's go. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? Hey, so great to catch up with you. We could probably buy a, an hour and a half of network time somewhere to uh, reminisce Easy. with you, my friend. Uh, it sounds like your ESPN career is off to a terrific start, and uh, I hope you enjoy the broadcast biz. Let's catch up uh, over a cold beverage sometime soon. Great to see you, Brock. I would love to do that, Tim. Thank you for having me. That's Brock Osweiler, former Sun Devil quarterback grade and now uh, ESPN college football analyst, our guest on this segment of the Anderson Healy Show. Ray will rejoin me for the final segment of this week's broadcast in a moment. But first, these messages. This is the Anderson Healy Show from the Sun Devil Radio Network. Hey, Sun Devil Super fans! The Arizona Lottery is a proud partner of Sun Devil Athletics, and we're giving six lucky fans a pair of season tickets to cheer on the ASU men's basketball team. All you have to do is enter on the Arizona Lottery Players Club. So suit up in your maroon and gold, grab your phone, and enter by October 24th on the Players Club app or at azplayersclub.com. Your moment has arrived. Welcome to Gila River Resorts and Casinos. Bigger, bolder, and better with so much more to offer. Grab a cold drink and cool off in a cabana at our all-new resort pool. Or take a taste of the here and now with even more dining destinations to choose from, including our new rooftop restaurant and lounge, Prime, a Shula Steakhouse. It's time to own your moment. So you do you. Hey, it's Paul Calvisi, and if there's one thing all top teams have in common, it's consistent performance. And that's what you're going to find up and down the full lineup of Ford trucks and SUVs. From tailgating to towing, on the job or on vacation, Ford has the right vehicle for you with performance that never quits. See that full Ford lineup today. Just stop by your Arizona Ford dealers or visit buyfordnow.com. Proud partner of the ASU Sun Devils, Go Devils. We're nearing the finish line of this week's edition of the Anderson Healy Show from the Sun Devil Radio Network. Along with Arizona State Athletic Director Ray Anderson, I'm Tim Healy, the voice of the Sun Devils, and Ray and I are glad you're with us this week as Ray rejoins me now. The Sun Devil swimming and diving teams got a split of their Saturday meet against the University of Wisconsin Badgers at the Mona Plummer Aquatic Center on the ASU campus. The fifth-ranked ASU men defeated the Badgers 183-112 to with second-year Sun Devil superstar Leon Marchand winning all three of his individual events as Leon won the 100 breaststroke, the 200 backstroke, and the 400 individual medley. He also was a part of ASU's winning 400 medley relay team. Meanwhile, Arizona State's other megastar, Grant House, chipped in with the victories in both the 100 and 200 free. Meanwhile, Ray, the Sun Devil women lost to their counterparts from uh, Wisconsin. The 16th-ranked Badger women's squad defeated Arizona State 187-111. to uh, indeed, the fifth-ranked men, uh, like you said, they split. The fifth-ranked men uh, are going to be strong all year, uh, Tim, so that was no surprise. And, of course, 
when you got Leon and Grant uh, uh, anchoring uh, your team, you're going to be in pretty good shape. Uh, our women came up against number 16, Wisconsin, not nearly as successful, but it's a uh, younger team and they're going to have their work cut out for them. But overall, the swimming and diving programs are going to be solid. Uh, and particularly on the men's side, looking forward to a great season, Tim, uh, and see, we're looking forward to seeing the women improve along the way until we get to the championships. Next up for swimming, a trip to Los Angeles next weekend as the Sun Devil men and women will take on the USC Trojans in L.A. on Friday, November 4th. The Arizona State women's swim team will stay in L.A. the following day and compete at UCLA on Saturday, November 5th. Coach Missy Farquay's Sun Devil women's golf team posted a ninth place finish last week at the Stanford Intercollegiate Event in Stanford, California. Arizona State finishing the three-day event with a 54-hole total of 13 over par. Ashley Many was the Sun Devil's top individual finisher, ending up in a tie for 13th place. Ashley shot a one-under 212 for the tournament, while senior Amanda Linner had one of the best rounds of her career in the final round of that event at Stanford, as Amanda shot a two-under par 69 in the final round, and that happened to be the lowest round by any Sun Devil golfer in the three-day event. All in all, Ray, I do believe Missy was pleased with her team's finish in such a star-studded field up at the Stanford Intercollegiate. Uh, yes, uh, Missy was. I mean, uh, the Stanford Intercollegiate is star-studded, as you say. Uh, Ashley had a really good uh, overall tournament, and then Amanda to get that 69 uh, on the final day. So uh, this is the time to really see in tournament play in the fall where you stand. Uh, and so you get excited about the spring season coming up, and certainly uh, Missy has got her uh, women's team positioned to compete very well uh, in the conference as you lead up to the uh, championships. By the way, the host Stanford Cardinal won the event, their own event, the Stanford Intercollegiate. They finished 10 strokes ahead of the field. Stanford looks to be loaded in women's golf this year. Next up for the Sun Devil women's golf team, the Pac-12 preview that'll take place in Hawaii starting Halloween Day, Monday, October 31st, and running through November 2nd. And that, by the way, will be the final event of the fall schedule for the Sun Devil women golfers. Finally, if you caught our show last week, and we certainly hope that you did, you heard our interview with Sun Devil head baseball coach Willie Bloomquist, in which Willie referenced the fact that Arizona State's 2023 baseball schedule was soon to be announced. Well, that announcement came, and the schedule has been released, and quite a challenging schedule it will be for the Devils in year two of the Bloomquist era out at Phoenix Municipal Stadium. The Sun Devils will open the 2023 season at Phoenix Muni on Friday evening, February 17th, when they host the San Diego State Aztecs in the opener of a three-game season-opening series. The next weekend is one you're going to want to circle on the calendars, February 24th 22 through the 26th, when ASU will hit the road and travel to one of the rowdiest, most challenging, and most energetic environments in all of college baseball when they head to Duty Noble Field in Starkville, Mississippi to take on perennial Southeastern Conference powerhouse Mississippi State. Willie told us, Ray, in the interview last week that uh, he wanted to toughen his team up this year prior to the start of Pac-12 play. Well, I'll tell you what, 
they'll get toughened up plenty when they head to Stark Vegas, as they call it, for those three games against Mississippi State. Yes, and, uh, you know, you got to applaud, uh, Willie, for wanting to, uh, you know, if you want to be the best, they say you got to play the best. And if you want to be ready for a tough uh, uh, conference schedule, you got to go play tough non-conference games. So San Diego State is uh, not a bunch of chumps either. You know, they know how to play some baseball yeah. down there in Southern California. Uh, but Mississippi State has kind of been a different beast uh, down there in the SEC. So take them down there on the road uh, and play some really, really tough SEC baseball. is great for our program. It's great for our student-athletes. It's great for what Willie is trying to accomplish, and that is put together a tough gritty, I'm not afraid to go play anywhere type of roster. And he's certainly going to be a, get a chance to do that, Tim. Boy, that's going to be some series. Uh, the second weekend of the year, too, ASU at Mississippi State. Some of the other baseball schedule highlights for 2023, and there are a bunch of them. ASU will have a two-game midweek series at Oklahoma State. March 7th and 8th, of course, Oklahoma State, coached by one-time former Sun Devil assistant Josh Holliday, is a traditional baseball power. The Sun Devils will also have a three-game non-conference home series with Big West Conference power UC Irvine in March, as well as a two-game midweek home series later in the season against longtime ASU baseball rival Cal State Fullerton. As far as Pac-12 play is concerned, the Devils will open conference play in Salt Lake City, taking on Utah in a three-game set St. Patrick's Day weekend, March 17th through the 19th. The first conference home series will be the following weekend against, guess who, the Arizona Wildcats, who will be here on March 24th through the 26th. The Devils will also play home Pac-12 series against Washington State and Oregon State in April, and then Stanford and UCLA will come to Phoenix Muni in the month of May. While the Devils will hit the road in conference play for series at Cal and Washington in April, and then they'll head to Oregon and USC in May. Of course, USC now coached by former Grand Canyon head coach and one-time Arizona State assistant Andy Stankiewicz. The Pac-12 tournament, Ray, will be a revised format this year. Nine teams uh, will be heading to Scottsdale instead of the eight that went last year, and they will engage in pool play for the first time. And uh, the tournament will be May 24th through the 28th at Scottsdale Stadium. And we're looking forward to uh, uh, being the host institution for the uh, tournament yet again. Uh, And they wanted to change the format to get an additional uh, team in there to experience what that uh, Pac-12 tournament environment was about. Uh, And I think the pool play will, uh, I think, make uh, uh, the overall scheduling uh, more comfortable, competitive. So, just made that change at the league meetings last week, Tim. So the baseball folks are excited about it, and we certainly are excited about having it for the second year in a row here at Scottsdale uh, as the host institution. You, you heard Willie last week talk about his improved team and the talent they've brought in, both from recruiting and the transfer portal. And now we've told you the schedule they're going to play. Looking forward to a great season of Sun Devil baseball. And it all starts February 17th when the Devils host San Diego State. Well, that'll do it for this week's show. We thank you for joining us. A couple of other thank yous before we go. Thanks to our show producer, ASU Senior Associate and Athletic Director, Doug Tamaro. Thanks as well to our terrific engineer producer, Sean Crespin of the Sun Devil Radio Network, and to our incomparable show scheduler, the lovely Kim Nelson 
of Sun Devil Athletics. We thank her for her help as well. We will be back next week with another installment of the Anderson Healy Show, and we hope you'll make plans to join us. Ray, great to visit with you, and uh, we'll see you in Boulder this weekend. Uh, dress warm. It's going to be a little chilly this weekend from what I gather. Yeah, that's what they say, but we'll be ready for it, Tim, and uh, always a pleasure. And uh, as we say, wrapping up, go Devils. Go Devils. Till next time, for Ray Anderson, I'm Tim Healy. We thank you for joining us here on the Anderson Healy Show. So long, everybody. You've been listening to the Anderson Healy Show, powered by Elevation, the Sun Devils' preferred home energy technology company. Hey, Sun Devil fans, college football is back. So grab your friends in a cold, refreshing Dos Equis lager and make the most out of game day. Dos Equis is the one to score for your tailgate, at the bar, or even watching with your friend who went to that other school. So buy a cold, crisp Dos Equis and get those forks up on game day. Dos Equis, proud partner of the Arizona State Sun Devils. Get a dose. Enjoy Dos Equis responsibly. Copyright 2022. Imported by Cervezas Mexicanas, White Plains, New York. It takes hard work to be the best in the game. Planning, commitment, resilience, sweat. That's why Old Dominion Freight Line, the number one national LTL carrier for quality, works hard to be the best in the game and is proud to support those striving to be the best in theirs. Old Dominion Freight Line, official freight carrier of Sun Devil Athletics, helping the world keep promises. 75% of the electricity you're using is on products that are turned off. And your ceiling fan could cost you up to $5,000 over its lifetime. Sun Devils fans, you know your sports stats. At Elevation, we know the stats that can help save your wallet and the world. Visit PoweredByElevation.com and learn how our full suite of smart solar solutions can make a powerful difference today. Elevation is a proud partner of Sun Devil Athletics. Forks up, bills down. It's now time for the official Game Time Munchies break with a cold, tasty brew from Lagunitas. When you're hungry from raising the pitchforks high, reach for the highly balanced Lagunitas IPA. It's wow with wings, perfection with pizza, and nearly unmatchable with nachos. Their IPA just goes with football food. We're proud to call them the official craft beer of Sun Devil Athletics. The Lagunitas Brewing Company, Petaluma, California. Drink Lagunitas responsibly.